morning, everybody. Great to hear. Great to be with you this morning. Great to see your smiling faces. And um, before we go further, can I just say thank you for coming today? Thank you because meeting together is just a great thing to do. Thank you because it's a great day outside and there's about a hundred things that you could have done otherwise, but you chose to be here. I think it's actually really powerful that you chose to be here today when you could be doing other things. And I don't think we should underestimate the spiritual act of showing up. Um, it's a great encouragement. So you've done something great already today. Not only that, you knew I was preaching and you still showed up. Oh, double points. Double points for that for sure. You may have seen, oh, it looks like we're having some fun there, are we, Tim? Good. Anyway, we can, we can carry on. You may have seen that um, in the weekly update that we had a, a, the title of this sermon today was Disarray to Question Mark. Disarray to Question Mark. And I had a subtitle in there that said, A Short History of Jesus' Disciples. Now, I also listed some pre-read. I, I hope you've done some of this work, people. Um, because I think I said if you read Matthew chapter 16 to 28 and Acts chapter 1 to... Eight, sorry, 16 to 28, yes, and Acts chapter 1 to 8, that would just about cover it, okay? Um, show of hands, don't do that, that would be showing off, okay, <laughs> if you've actually done that pre-read. I did give you a few shorter versions as well, but if that heading and that subtitle makes you think, my goodness, which month will we finish? A short history of the disciples, I want to comfort you with two things. Three things, actually. One is we got through it in the last sermon and you're in here now. So that's good. Secondly, that you're between me and my lunch. <laughs> and I really like my lunch. <laughs> the third thing is that I've actually got another subtitle, which is called A Really Short History of Jesus' Disciples. So that's really what we've got today. A few years ago, in a, a life group, a home group that I was operating, working in, um, we actually read through the New Testament in 90 days. So reading through the nine New Testament in 90 days is about three to four chapters a day. So it's actually not as hard as you think. It's just that we don't do it that way very often. And we read through it chronologically, which says, actually had a, 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 an outline that says, this is the, the order of the events as we think they happened. May not be perfect, but pretty close to chronologically in the order that they happened. And as we were doing this, when it came to the last week of Jesus' ministry, I just really saw how badly placed things were for the church to go ahead beyond that point in time. Because I kind of knew that in a few weeks' time, that things were actually going to look pretty good. Less than two months later, the church was actually in a pretty good space. But at this point in time, just before when Jesus died and even after he died, things were terrible in actual fact. I was struck by how wrong the disciples were in their theology and their expectations. They were rubbish in what they were thinking. I was struck by how wrong their focus was and how wrong their behaviours were. They behaved badly in that time. And just to show you that that wasn't a fluke, when all of this happened and when Jesus came in Gethsemane, they all failed him. Every one of them, all 12, not one stayed with him at that time. And yet, 
these were the very people that a few weeks later God used incredibly to build his church. So what happened? What happened in there? What actually happened between that first time when they were all weak and wrong to when they had great direction, great purpose and great effectiveness? So I want to consider, consider two times today. We're going to call time one disarray, okay? Disarray. And the second we'll call let's see. But um, what I am going to say is I'm actually going to ask you to give ideas for time two, okay? So I'm going to ask a question and you are actually going to answer. There's going to be voices from the congregation. Um, so just give some thought in your mind that if you were going to give a title to time two, that time, later time, what it will be. You have some time, you've got some think time from now to then. So firstly, I just want to remind ourselves of what was actually going on in this thing of time one, which I call um, disarray. This is just in the weeks before Jesus' death. Now, I'm going to do it by rolling through the last chapters of Matthew, and you've got the references there. I'm going to refer to a bunch of incidents without necessarily reading the Scriptures. But just to show you that I'm not making it up, that's why you've got the piece of paper on your chair to say that he's not making it up. Okay? Um, so firstly, um, their ex the disciples, their expectations and theology was wrong. If you look at Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus asked his disciples and he says, who do, the, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And Peter makes his great confession that Jesus is the Christ. So Peter gets a tick for theology so far. But within minutes, when Jesus starts to explain what that actually means, that he must suffer and die and be raised again, Peter takes him aside and starts to rebuke him. And says, never, Lord, never shall this happen to you. So suddenly Peter's theology has gone from a big tick to a big cross. Because he's gone from that to never shall this happen to you. And Jesus responds with, get behind me, Satan. It's all about to fall from grace. You are Peter, on whom I, the rock, on whom I will build my church, to get behind me, Satan, is a fairly big roller coaster to go through in just a couple of minutes, I would say. Um, but there we are. And throughout this time, before Jesus died, he explained several times about his death and resurrection and his suffering, and the disciples just don't get it. They just don't get it. Because they had their idea was that something else was going to happen. The kingdom of God was something different. Their focus was wrong. In Matthew chapter 24, they remark, the disciples are walking past the temple and they remark on the beautiful stones of the temple. And say, have a look at this. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's a great thing for God. And Jesus just says, this is not what it's all about. It's not what it's all about. You've got your eyes on the things that are here on earth, but God's kingdom is something far greater than this. It captures far more than just what we see here. And thirdly, the disciples behave badly. In the week before Jesus died, Matthew chapter 20, James and John want a place of glory in heaven. They want it for themselves. We want this for us. You know, this kingdom is really about what I can receive. And don't worry about those other guys because we're better than them. Secondly, Jesus um, predicts the, the fact that they will all fall away. 
and that Peter will deny him. And in later on in Matthew chapter 26, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane where these things actually happen. Firstly, in Gethsemane, the disciples can't stay awake to pray. Jesus says, come and pray with me. They can't stay awake. It's not that they just can't manage it. Peter chops off the servant's ear. In a show of force, when they come to take Jesus away, Peter gets out his sword and chops off the servant's ear. Once again, trying to do something in the natural, not recognizing the very things that Jesus had been teaching him just so recently before. And then thirdly, in verse 56, it says, all the disciples left him and fled. So there's the first of Jesus' predictions coming through. All of the disciples left him and fled. Later on in um, Matthew chapter 26, we see the story of Peter denying Jesus three times, having opportunity, great opportunity to show his trust and faith in Jesus and yet denying him and having time, you know, between time one, two and three to realize that the that wasn't great the first time. It's not good the second time, and it's not going to be any th good the third time either. Um, and then even after Jesus' death, and even after his resurrection, the disciples go to Galilee, where Jesus had told them to go, but they've been sitting there for a week, and Peter gets a bit bored and says, I'm going fishing. And it might not necessarily be wrong to go fishing, but it probably shows the state of mind that he was in. He was really still in a state where he was confused. He had no direction. He wasn't sure what the heck was going on. So their expectations and their theology were wrong. The disciples, their focus was wrong. Their behaviors were wrong. And they all failed him against their word. But not only that, if you look at the future of the church, the numbers were right down. Like, over the course of Jesus' ministry, he'd preached to thousands. But at this point in time, we're there with 120 people. The church was down to 120 people. And there's a group of leaders who actually have recently de denied the very person they claim to follow. So things were not looking good. I want to tell you a story of a time when we, Kathy and myself, were in disarray. When things, the situation looked hopeless. In 1989, Kathy and I were um, working with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and we were involved in doing a prayer uh, run with a flaming torch all the way around Australia and up through the middle, uh, up and down through the middle of Australia. And the idea was prayer for the nation of Australia and the nations of the world. So we had um, 25 teenagers, Kathy and myself, uh, and three other leaders in two buses, uh, dri driving non-stop from... Goulburn in New South Wales to the Northern Territory. Tennant Creek was where we were headed. And so we'd driven for two days and two nights and um, we were, we'd been through Mount Isa. We'd just got to the border of Northern Territory and Queensland and um, passed through Camerwheel, if any of you know where Camerwheel is. It's a gibber desert out there. Um, it was late and it was time to stop for a camp. I looked for any tree that we could see we did finally come across a, a tree, a small creek bed. We said, okay, we camp here. Um, I should mention that for the last, um, most of the last day, one of the buses had a, had a mechanical fault and we could only do about 50 to 60 kilometres an hour. So you can imagine churning through about 10 hours at 60 kilometres an hour, what that makes you feel like. Everyone was very tired. We camped in the desert 
Um, we had some guys start working on the bus to try and get this bus to work properly. They succeeded to the extent that the bus now would no longer start, <laughs> let, alone, um, let alone run. And at um, 11 o'clock at night, I said, that's it. You know, we're off. We're going to pray and we're going to go to bed. You know, we'll, you know, we'll pray and we'll go to bed. So we prayed and we went to bed. At 11.30, I feel like, ah, my air mattress has gone completely flat on a gibber plane. Uh, stick had come up through the bottom of the tent, through the air mattress, and we are on the ground. Um, at one o'clock, that's bad, so, but we went to sleep. We were really tired, so we went to sleep. At one o'clock in the morning, our daughter Danielle, who was 14 months old at the time, um, woke up with a high fever, uh, really high fever, and um, she wouldn't drink. So she wasn't taking any liquids at all. And so I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I've got two buses, one of which doesn't work. I'm going to have to take the bus that does work back to Mount Isa, which is three hours driving, and to leave 30 people in the desert while we do this. It was just a mess. And I thought everything that we've put our efforts and thoughts and planning into was just going to come apart in a heap. But at that time, at 1.30 in the morning or whatever it was, Kathy and I sat in an air mattress and we prayed and we said, God, we don't know what's going to happen here. And so I want you to hold that thought because we're going to come back to that story. So I want to talk about time two. So time two is this time after, um, after Jesus has risen again and he's been with those people and we know the stories early in Acts. But like I said, I want you to think of during this time of what you might think of labelling this time. So um, it doesn't necessarily, you know, extra points for alliteration, which means starting with the same letter, disarray, time one, disarray, time two, D something, but it doesn't have to be. You can say anything. How would you label, how would you label this time immediately after Pentecost, shall we say? How would you label that time in your mind? Because I mentioned earlier, you know, it's amazing to think that a few weeks after Jesus' death, these people were used by God in incredible ways, even though they'd failed him so recently. So if we look at Acts chapter 2, and we'll come back to this, in Acts chapter 2 we have the story of Pentecost, where Peter preaches to the, where the Holy Spirit comes, Peter preaches to the crowds, and 3,000 are added to their number. In Acts chapter 3 through 8, we actually hear the story of the disciples beyond that time and what actually happens. And there's a couple of things that, that we notice in particular. One, in Acts chapter 3, verse 8, uh, Acts chapter 3 to 8, we hear stories of the disciples doing the acts of Jesus, that they teach, that there are healings. The disciples are doing what Jesus did. The second thing, we see that they suffer also in the way that Jesus did. That they actually had the suffering of Jesus. So there was the acts of Jesus that were at work in their life and there was the suffering like Jesus, like he said, would happen in their life. But those sufferings didn't break them down. In fact, it led to the spread of the gospel throughout the, the local and the areas around. So what happened between time one and time two? What actually changed there? Well, I'm going to say that there were actually some very ordinary things that happened 
between the time when they were in disarray and Pentecost and beyond. Some very ordinary things. The first really ordinary thing was, was that they were faithful, that they actually kept meeting together. Even though they were weak and confused, not sure about what was going on, they kept meeting together. So in John chapter 20, we see that they have a meeting first up a week later. So they had to wait a week before Jesus appeared to them beyond the, the appearances after the grave. They meet together a week later. They're still a bit confused. They're meeting in secret because they're not quite sure of what's going on. Um, and there's a meeting without Thomas. That's good. Okay. Another week passes. Another week passes. And there's a meeting with Thomas present. So they keep meeting together. They keep meeting together. And as you look through Acts and beyond, um, further into Acts, it does say that they met together daily. They keep meeting together daily. So they were faithful. A second very ordinary thing that they did is that they were obedient to the commands of Jesus. When Jesus said, go to Galilee, I will meet you there, they went. It's a really ordinary thing to do. Just do what God told you last. Not what God's telling you to do next. Do what he told you to do last. And so they did these things, those very ordinary things. But some very extraordinary things happened as well. Some very extraordinary things. The first extraordinary thing is that the disciples were forgiven. And we shouldn't underestimate that. And, and especially the way in which Jesus forgave the disciples, all of them. Because they all went on to have an incredible ministry for him. But in John chapter 21, we hear the story of Jesus restoring Peter in particular. But he must have restored all the rest as well. And when you think these are the very people who denied him, who ran away and left him, and yet Jesus forgave them in such a way that they knew that they were empowered to go and spread his message. They knew. They knew of their failings. There was no, that didn't disappear it was still there, but they knew that they were forgiven. And that's extraordinary. We shouldn't, we shouldn't think that these people who had denied Jesus would be forgiven in a way they would be used in that way. The second thing is that the Holy Spirit came. You know, God was amazing. And so in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, we read about Pentecost, and it says, When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. Here they are meeting together. Suddenly the sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And if you go down to verse 41, it says, And 3,000 were added to their number that day. An incredible, spectacular, amazing event. Just one of them. There's others. But after this amazing event, what did they do? If you read on through Acts, they kept doing the ordinary things. They kept doing the ordinary things. Meeting together, breaking bread, sharing, each, sharing their possessions. And so, there we have it. There's your short history of the disciples really short history of the disciples so now what would you call time two when we think about time two what are the thoughts that you have i will say that we have disarray i'm just going to say array is not allowed okay i've already thought of that <laughs> disarray to array it's just too easy okay so other thoughts 
change. Yeah, just the rate of change. Enlightened. Fantastic. Sorry. Direction. Yep. Delighted. Yes. I imagine so, though. Tell you what, there's some tough times in there as well, John, I reckon. Any more? Empowered. Yeah. Yep. Joyful, jubilant. Oh, double points for uh, double alliteration. Well done. Magnificent. Yeah. The center of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, for sure. Devoted. Yeah. I had dynamite. Disarray to dynamite. I also had disarray, I also had disarray to aligned with God. It's not quite array, but <laughs> it's close. But really what you see is that the disciples went from being misaligned with what God was about to aligned with what he was on about. Somehow, somehow when the Holy Spirit came, something changed, something big changed. And if we look at our lives, maybe we need to think about that for ourselves as well. If we feel like we are not seeing the change in some of those areas that we, we need, maybe we need to look and say, am I letting the Holy Spirit into that space? Back to the story that I was telling you. Camped in the desert, flat air mattress, 25 kids all relying on me. I'm about to disappear for three hours in a bus, leave them out there. Um, very sick daughter. And we prayed. And from that moment that we sat on our flat air mattress and prayed, God started to move. It was only when we prayed that Danielle started to drink. That was great. We don't know how good we felt. I thought things are looking up. And we actually went to sleep, which was also great because <laughs> we really needed to sleep. In the morning when we got up, the bus started. First time, bang, we're away. So that was good. And just to say that we moved on and that um, we you know, were able to do the things that we actually wanted to do on that trip and we saw some great things. But if you'd asked me at 1.30 in the morning how things were travelling, I would have said, not very well. Okay? Um, so it's a great story that I often look back to and realise that this is you know, some of those things that God can do. What about you? I'm sure in your life you've had those times when things just haven't looked right. When things have felt like, this is just a mess. That I don't know how this is going to be. You might have let God down. Have you let God down? I have. I've denied Jesus in ways that I'm not proud of at all at times. In situations where I haven't stood up for him in the way that I should have. Um, that's not great. I need his forgiveness like that too. Maybe your behaviours and my behaviours could use some improvement in some areas. You know, perhaps you're struggling with an area of sin right now. And you're thinking, how do I get to that place where I'm in a great place with God? It might be apathy. It might be lust or pornography. I will say that so many men feel like they can't serve God because they've got this issue with pornography that they're working with. Um, it's a real thing for men. And... Um, we need to be able to say that it doesn't disqualify you if you've struggled with that particular sin. We struggle with all kinds of sin. And I think that's a, an act of the devil to actually stop men from standing up in, um, in the work that God would have them do. It might be dishonesty or gossip or there's lots of things that might be a problem in your life. It might be your situation. You might feel like, you know, like my marriage isn't just going so well at the moment. You know, that's just not, or my kids are just taking all of my time and effort and energy. Like, there's so much going on in that space. 
that I really struggle to have time or anything available for God. Your health might not be so good. And you're thinking, how do I deal with this in this space? And, you know, that almost says that, you know, how can God use me in this space? Or you might have your focus wrong. Focus might be on the things that, you know, that people value around us, the outside. So, you know, very materialistic society that we live in. You might be focused on how am I going to get that next car? How am I going to get the promotion in my work? I want to be seen as a success. It might be those things. It might be envy about what you see others having in terms of a spouse or children or success in their work or whatever. And I'll guarantee this. I'll guarantee that your theology is wrong somewhere, okay? Um, I always say that it'll be, it'll be interesting to get to heaven and find out how wrong I was. Because it's going to be really interesting to see some of the things that I think are really important just won't even count in God's kingdom or hardly at all. And some of the things I thought were not so important are going to be very, very important to God. And I think it's really important we keep that kind of attitude about ourselves and recognise that we are flawed people and our understanding is very limited and that we shouldn't allow that to cause division amongst us or to constrain us. So the great news, though, is that God uses imperfect people. And, it, you know, the Bible's littered with stories. I think one of the great things about the Bible is that it's littered with stories of incredible people who do incredible things and records their incredible failures as well. So I want to go back to Exodus chapter 4 for a minute and just say this is a story about Moses and when he got called to lead the people of Israel, a whole nation, out of the land of Egypt. He's probably one of the greatest leaders in history, Moses, but this is how it happened when he got called. In chapter 3, God commissions him, and at the start of chapter 4, um, Moses says to God, I actually think this is incredible as well. Just remember, this is Moses writing about himself. He bothered to write that this thing happened, okay? What if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? And then God gives Moses, oh, by the way, did I mention the fact that Moses is standing in front of a burning bush that's not getting chewed up at the time? So there's a miracle happening in front of his eyes right now while this dialogue is occurring, okay? So there's this bush, it's not burning, they're having this dialogue. You'd think that you might just listen and be pretty much struck, but struck with awe and say, whatever you say, I will do. It seems not. Um, God gives him three miracles, three more miracles just to help him out, okay? He says, throw your... Throw your staff on the ground and it turns into a snake pick it up it turns back into a staff it says put your hand inside your cloak pull it out it's leprous put it back inside your cloak there it is it's all good all good again and he also tells him but doesn't demonstrate it because he's not near the Nile he says if you pull some water out of the Nile and chuck it on the ground it's going to turn to blood but he demonstrates the first two and there's a burning bush in front of him and then this dialogue happens Moses said to the Lord pardon your servant Lord I've never been eloquent Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and tongue. I'm not good enough to do what you're asking me to do. The Lord says to him, who gave human beings their mouths? What ma who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. But Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send somebody else. 
I got to say, it does say the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and I don't blame him a bit. I'm thinking, here I am. I mean, one thing I find very interesting in this, and it's actually true in real life as well. Sometimes we think miracles are going to be the answer, and we'll convince people of things. You know, miracles actually aren't very good at convincing people of things. Sometimes, yes. Quite often, no. Quite often when the miracle occurs, people find some other explanation for it. Never mind, there was a miracle right there in front of you. Oh, I've got some other excuse, and please send somebody else. <laughs> you know, I don't want this. So incredible that this person who was one of the great leaders in human history, this was his starting point. That's the kind of thing that God can do. It's incredible. So have you ever been in this situation, or are you in right now, this situation of disarray? Does the situation seem hopeless? Have you think, well, I kind of know in theory that I could be used by God, but that couldn't happen now because I've got so many issues going on, really. Or I've got this area of sin in my life. Or I'm not good enough. I don't have the talents. Or I've got so many questions. So, so many people get stuck on this one. I've got so many questions, which is what Moses was doing with God in, in a way. I've got so many questions. Or so many constraints with family or my situation or my health. So a couple of things. Firstly, we need to acknowledge that, hey, God made us. He knows. Secondly, there is forgiveness for those failures that have occurred in our life. And thirdly, that God, through the Holy Spirit, does awesome things. So one, or the other option, of course, is if you're not in that situation, if you're one of those really annoying people whose life is all together, um, you know, just what are we going to say to those people? Because in some ways, if you look at this congregation at the surface, and I know this doesn't apply to everybody, but most of us actually have life pretty good, really. If you actually look at us, we don't look like failures. We probably don't think we're failures. We're reasonably successful. Most of us probably own a home or are working towards it. We have either have a good career or have had a good career. We've got some kind of, you know, we're reasonably comfortable. And for many of us, our relationships aren't terrible. They're okay. You know, we can be in this space where we think, so can God use people like us? Because we might think we're not in that category. That's not our situation. Maybe it's even harder <laughs> for God to use people like us. And maybe it takes an act of us and our will to recognize our dependence on him. But if you reckon your financial, your social, your relational, your spiritual life is all pretty much on track, I've got a couple of things to say. One is take a good hard look at yourself. Because I reckon if you take a good hard look at yourself, you'll find something that needs the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. But if you can't find anything, I'd suggest you phone a friend. <laughs> okay? Phone a friend. Phone a friend because I reckon they'll find something for you, okay? If they're a real friend, they will. Um, that's maybe how you can test your friends. Um, but you'll find something. But even so, there are times in our life when we're not in disarray. Let's face it, there are times when we're not in disarray. So then my question is, how are we using that time of blessing? How are we using that time of great blessing? Is our level of comfort and our success and our standing, is that actually standing in the way of things that God would want to do? 
is that place of comfort. So I'd probably say I guarantee that if you stick your neck out in God's service, if you stretch yourself in some way, and we should encourage ourselves in this way, that there'll be times of stress and there'll be times of disappointment, there'll be times of failure and there'll be times of disarray. There'll be times when with the best intent you do all the great work and it just doesn't work out the way you thought. People will let you down. The technology will let you down. Tim, great job in getting it back on track. Okay? Um, but those things. I see it a bit like water skiing or, or snow skiing. When I go water skiing or snow skiing, I actually think if I don't fall over every now and then, I'm not trying hard enough. You know, like if I actually really want to get better at this, I've got to stretch myself. I've got to go a little bit harder. And typically, if I'm water skiing, I ski till I fall off. Um, and if I'm snow skiing, I just make sure I have some good stack at least somewhere in the course of the week. They, I, I must say I'm a little more conservative as I get older in that space. <laughs> but, um, but I still think, and I, th I think sometimes we should actually apply that to our spiritual lives as well, that we should allow ourselves to be stretched and in some ways take risk because I've heard it said that, you know, faith without risk is not faith at all. You know, faith and risk are the same word that you actually need. There's no faith without risk. Because if, if it's always going to happen, that's certainty. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, what do we take from this? How do, we make our, how do we make this transition from time one to time two in our lives? How do we, you know, from situations that seem dark and difficult to being in a great place with God? And the first one is that we need to receive God's forgiveness. And that is, don't keep beating yourselves up about past failures. I think some people really struggle with this, that they just feel like, I'm not good enough. I might have had a, a position of responsibility in the past and I've failed, or I might have failed in a relationship somewhere. You know, I might have caused real pain, and therefore I'm not good enough. The Bible's full of murderers, adulterers, you name it. You name the sin of the great leaders, it's in there, okay? So it's really important. The second one is to remain faithful and obedient, to stay in fellowship, keep together with God's people, and keep following Jesus' commands and example. The third one is to receive and lean on the Holy Spirit. And like I said earlier, I think one of the things we don't do probably often enough is just actually accept the fact that the Holy Spirit is there for us. I think perhaps particularly in Baptist circles, we're not as big on the Holy Spirit um, as some other denominations. And I think we really need to encourage ourselves in this space. I know for myself recently, I was thinking, you know, I spent a lot of time in my mind, in my thoughts relating to God the Father and God the Son. But I don't actually spend that much time in my devotional time relating to the Holy Spirit. And so for myself, it was an area of, I need to think about this more. And I need to put this more into my thinking. And I need to draw on the strength of the Holy Spirit more than I do. And lastly, I want to say that we should expect hardships, the suffering of Jesus, but also expect God to do great things. William Carey, I think it is, said that we should attempt great things from God and expect great things from God. You know, that we should attempt great things, take risks, and so, and expect hardships. It's not always going to be that easy, that easy road. But we should do these things.
So it's amazing to think that God took this group of people, you know, who were failures, who had done the wrong thing, entrusted the future of the church to these people, as he does to us today. Today, he trusts us to be his church. Maybe we're not so different than those disciples, but we have the same resources at our fingertips, if only we'll reach out and um, take hold of them. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you're here with us, and we thank you that when we